0: It is a joy to be back on campus and to share with you from God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment. The year was 1978. I was in my final semester at MIB when God graced my wife and I, my wife's name is Helen, with a double blessing. February 28, 1978, Mark and Michael Williamson, our twins, were born. Today's her birthday. Not only did we have the joy of celebrating that with uh, MIB campus and, and, and uh, student body, but we also had the privilege of making history in the state of Montana. In the little town of Lewistown, there was a brand new hospital being built at that time. This was 39 years ago, okay, in case you didn't do the math. <laughs> and uh, there was an old hospital, kind of run down and not really, Nice facility, and all of our prenatal training and preparations for childbirth, we toured the old hospital. However, on February 28, 1978, in the new hospital, our twins became the first set of twins born in the new hospital in Lewistown. So here's my wife, Caesarean Delivery. One day after operation, two little squalling babies in her arms with her picture plastered all over the state of Montana in the Great Falls Tribune, the Billings Gazette, the Butte Sentinel, all those major newspapers as they celebrated the first set of twins born in Lewistown. Well, over those 39 years, God has taken us on a wonderful journey of serving in pastoral ministry and now in church planting, And I'd like to just share with you very briefly a little bit about our mission. Please stop by the booth downstairs uh, during the lunch hour and pick up any literature, talk to me. But uh, we are excited that God has brought us from the senior pastor role to the executive director role of a church planning mission called Rocky Southwest Bible Church Extension. We are affiliated with the IFCA International, which is a fellowship of churches and pastors committed to doctrinal purity, and to biblical concepts for church ministry. Our purpose is to plant and assist churches in the great rocky southwest region of the United States. We cover Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and the western part of Texas. So it's a very large geographical area that God has given us to serve in. There's some key commitments to our mission. One of them is our authority. And being in this Bible college, I, you understand this one. But uh, the authority is the Word of God. We are committed to the Word of God, not only as the foundation for the doctrines that we believe, but also for the principles of truth that govern our philosophy of ministry as well. And so we are committed to that. Uh, now, we live in a pluralistic society and there's a lot of voices screaming out for people's attention. Sad to say the multitude of those voices are deceptive. We are committed to the truth of the Word of God and believe that the truth of God's Word is what needs to be made known within a pluralistic society if men and women are going to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, to faith in Jesus Christ, and to a hope of eternal life. So we're committed to the authority of God's Word. Our ministry, as I already mentioned, is the church. Uh, We believe that God has ordained or appointed the church in this dispensation. It's God's instrument for reaching society. I serve as the uh, director of a quote-unquote parachurch organization. Montana Bible College is a parachurch organization. So when I make this next statement, don't take me to task real quickly, all right? But, But think it through with me. In the New Testament... There's only one entity that the Lord Jesus Christ said he would build. His church. The ecclesia, the called out ones of God from all around the world, from every tongue, tribe, and nation in this dispensation. And So we are committed to the ministry of the local church, the body of Christ manifesting itself and reproducing itself throughout, uh, in our situation, uh, the United States in church planting. So our goal, quite naturally, is to plant churches, to enable churches to be reproductive so that the living organism of the church is a reproducing organism. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you read in there all the time, after its kind, after its kind, after its kind, living organisms reproduce. If they do not reproduce, there's something wrong with them. Because God has designed the living organisms to be reproductive. If we truly believe that the church is a living organism, it's not an organization, but it is an organism, a life-giving reality of the Spirit of God in human life, then it needs to be reproducing. That's what church planting is all about. Churches reproducing themselves for the glory of God in advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some key commitments. I just went through these. What happened? There we go. God is blessing our mission, and we're excited. In the last few months, we've taken on three new mission families. This family from Titusville, Florida, Matt and Michelle Rissikar and their family will be joining our team in Kingman, Arizona to work with Kingman Bible Church. And so as you think about uh, our mission, pray for these new missionaries. They're on the uh, what we call the deputation, the uh, support-raising aspect of their ministry right now. We're hoping to see them on the field in, uh, by the fall of this year. Whoops, I went too fast. Uh, we've been praying and we continue to pray that God would open the door for Hispanic ministry. Uh, to tell you that in our geographical region, uh, the demographics for Spanish ministry is just enormous. And so God has brought to us this family and they have joined the team in Green River, Utah with Kirk and Paula Dunham. They are graduates of Rio Grande Bible Institute. Uh, They are from Mexico. Pray with us. Uh, I'm I'm soliciting all the prayer we can get for this family for two reasons. Number one, uh, we have an application that's being filed with the immigration office to secure what we call an R1 visa for them. That needs to be secured or they're going to have to leave the country. Number two, under an R1 visa, they are not able to be employed except through the mission. So we need to raise all of their support to sustain them in their ministry. So pray for the Gomez family. Just this past week when I was down in Arizona on a ministry uh, uh, trip, uh, we interviewed Jeremy and Tricia. Her name is Patricia Jessup. And they have just joined our mission, serving Christopher Creek Community Bible Church in Christopher Creek, Arizona. So God's blessing in, in developing our personnel. We're excited about that. Kevin and Miranda are from ABC, Appalachian Bible College. They came with our mission a few years ago. They have just resigned from Severance Community Church, one of our church plants. And so, those of you who are graduating in May, looking for ministry, we need to replace them in Severance a community church in Severance, Colorado. I'd love to talk to you about being involved in church planning, stepping into this ministry and leading it forward to the glory of Christ, the advance of the gospel, and the establishment of the testimony of Christ there in Severance. We've been assisting a little church over in Dix, Nebraska. Dix is no no bigger than a white spot in the road, but there's a little church there called Dix Bible Church, and their pastor... Uh, passed away last March, rather unexpectedly. We've been assisting them, and they're looking for someone to come in and be a, a shepherd for that little flock there in Dixon, Nebraska. If you're interested, I'd love to talk to you about the opportunity to serve the Lord and share in this ministry as well. Some of our uh, personnel needs, we're always looking for church planters, uh... uh Ladies who would be involved in in children and women 's and music ministries and as church team plant members, um, husbands and wives who maybe feel that they're they're not wanting to be a, a lead pastor in a church plant but would like to come alongside and be a supporting role in a church plant ministry we'd love to talk with you i don't have the applications with me, but if you'd like to do a, a summer internship this summer and be involved in church planning, we'd love to uh, help you with that as well and so Uh, If God's nudging you towards this exciting and challenging ministry of stepping into new communities to plant the living truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the hearts and lives of people, and then see a body of believers come together and established as a local church, we'd love to talk with you. I'll leave that up while I'm talking, so if you want to take down some contact information, you may. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9, and for sake of our time this morning, because what I want to share with you would take me about an hour to complete all of what I wanted to share, and I don't have that much time with you, but in Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through chapter 10 verse 15, we have an account with the Lord Jesus Christ in which he manifests himself in his roles of ministry in two very specific ways. For sake of our time, I'm going to Trust that you'll have the passage before you. I'm not going to take time to read the entire passage. But in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in his role and relationship with the multitudes of people, the crowd, the general populace. Then in chapter 10, verses 1 through actually the end of the chapter, but for our purposes this morning, we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in a very more, focused, narrow role of relationship with his disciples. And what I want us to see in this passage is that out of this passage of Scripture, there are several principles of truth that we need to not only embrace in our understanding, but recognize as foundational in our ministry as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an understatement, but I'll say it anyway. Ministry today is challenging. The society in which you live, in which you've been brought up in, is far different than the one that I was brought up in several years ago. When I began my ministry in 1973 up in Sims, Montana, I never anticipated that as a pastor and now as a mission director, that the Church of Jesus Christ would be grappling with some of the things we grapple with today as the truth of the Word of God and the principles of truth are being constantly pushed further and further out of society and challenged as being authoritative in human life. It's a challenging ministry. I'm not here to discourage you in that regard, but there are some principles in this passage of Scripture that I want us to look at that I believe will be not only helpful, but foundational in weeding into our lives uh, truth that will sustain us as we step into the roles of ministry that God would call us to now and when we finish our education. First of all, look at verses 35 through 38 of chapter 9, and I want you to see the prerequisite for ministry. Something that happens in our life There's a prerequisite for ministry. And it's summed up in a word that's found in these verses of Scripture, the little word compassion. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Lord Jesus Christ presents himself in this passage in relationship to two groups of people, one to the general populace, one to his disciples. And in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, we're looking at this relationship to the, the general populace, the multitudes. And this activity of this role to the multitudes is given to us in verse number 35. And it consists of a summary statement of the Lord's ministry among the cities and the villages. You'll notice in the text that there are three verbs in verse number 35 that define his activity. For those of you who are in Bible school, you know that when you study scriptures, verbs are important, Right? Three activities. Number one, and the first one has two aspects to it. In this role to the multitudes, the Lord Jesus Christ ministers to both the spiritual need and the physical need of the multitudes. The first one here in the spiritual needs is characterized by the two terms teaching and preaching. He went about the cities and villages teaching in the synagogue and preaching that the gospel Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now this word teaching comes from a Greek word, didasko, Has the idea of formal and informal instruction and training. It's a term that would define what you go through as you attend your classes. It's a term that would define what you go through when you sit down with a faculty member in some kind of, of a personal encounter instruction or uh, uh, advice or mentoring or discipling, Didasco has to do with teaching, but notice in the context of this passage, the teaching takes place in the synagogues. He goes from city to city, from village to village, teaching in the synagogue. Now, what is the content of the teaching? The verse does not say specifically but because of the location where it is connected to the synagogues, I have come to the conclusion that the teaching has to do with the Old Testament Scriptures being the foundation as he explains who he is as the Son of God and the Messiah. You remember up in Nazareth in the synagogue when he opened the Scriptures and read from Isaiah? Then he closed the Scriptures and said, Today this has been fulfilled in in your sight. And so he's opening the scriptures, he's teaching the Old Testament scriptures as it relates to the kingdom of God, the Messiah, the hope of Israel. This word preaching comes from the Greek word karuso. It Has to do with the proclamation, the heralding of something. Now notice the content of what he's herald. Behold, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, in just a moment, we're going to see contextually what that looks like. But for our thoughts this morning, I want us to get hold of this. That in his activity, he is teaching and he's preaching to the multitudes. Thirdly, he is healing diseases. Ministering to their their need physically as well. But what was it that characterized the heart of Jesus in this ministry to the multitudes? And in the next verse, I think we find an answer to that question. It says, he beheld the multitudes. The word that is used there is a word that is used to describe looking at something with understanding, grasping the understanding of what you're beholding. If I went to, I wish I could, but it never happened in my lifetime. If I went to a Super Bowl game, there might be 50, 60,000, 100,000 people there, depending on where they hold it. And you can sit in your little seat at the Super Bowl and you can say, Man, look at the multitude. And you're just gazing at a mass of people. That's not what's happening in this passage. When it says he beheld the multitude, the term that is used there in the Greek language defines that he beheld them with understanding of them. How do I know that? Because he goes on to say he sees them in a certain way, right? As sheep without a shepherd, as people that are scattered. He understood their need. Ladies and gentlemen, as you move in and out of our society as representatives of Jesus Christ, don't just see people, but see people who have need. Don't just see masses, but understand there is need in the human heart and life that only Jesus Christ can meet. It says he was moved with compassion. Compassion. This Greek word is very interesting. It speaks of being down in the, in the bowels of the human body. The old King James used to translate it that way. What is compassion? It's not pity. You can pity somebody and never do a thing about it. It's not even empathy. You can empathize with somebody... And still never do anything about their need. Compassion is the compelling urge to put love into action. It touches the emotion of the heart. But it also triggers the volition of the will. Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw their need. He was emotionally drawn into the depth of their need, but he volitionally acted to meet that need as well. Let me give you this thought as we think about this word compassion. It speaks of a deep emotional stirring of the heart because of the need and the plight of others so that it moves one to volitionally set in love and benevolence toward that person to meet the need. So the prerequisite of ministry is compassion. What is God, the Holy Spirit, doing in your heart to move you from maybe being lethargic, apathetic, indifferent, to truly being filled with compassion for people around you? Secondly, notice with me in this passage now in chapter 10, verse 1, The provision for power for the ministry. It's interesting, at the end of chapter 9, and we use this verse a lot in mission conferences, you know, we need more labors. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into the harvest. When you bow before the Lord and pray that prayer, you better put your marching boots on. Because God will will use you to be the answer to that prayer. That's what he does in chapter 10. He says, pray the Lord the harvest. Then he sends out the 12. But notice in verse number one, because it's interesting. Challenging ministry begins with a prerequisite, with compassion in our heart, because we see people where they are. But it also recognizes that there's a power that is not ours that we minister under. He says he gave them power. The, the Greek word here is not the word dunamis. It's the Greek word ekousia, having to do with authority. Same word used in Matthew 28, right? All power, all authority is given to me. And ladies and gentlemen, what you see is this. You and I have no right to confront anybody else in this world about the eternal destiny of their soul, except for the authority of Jesus Christ. But under that authority, we have every right. We have every mandate to do so. The authority of ministry is not resident in you and I. It's not resident in the organizations that we serve. It's not resident in the the programs that we, we plan. The authority for our ministry is resident in the risen Jesus Christ. Under his authority, we minister. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we recognize that we've been given powers right as well, right? That's where the word dunamis is used. What I want you to see is this. When you stand in this society, whether it's in the United States of America or a culture around the world, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, ministry-wise, your authority for being there. Is Christ himself. The power that enables you to be there is the Holy Spirit resident in you. So to face challenging ministry, we need compassion. Otherwise, we sit on our hands and do nothing. Compassion is the compelling urge to do something. Volitionally put love into action to serve others. We need a power, we need authority to move into a a community where there is no gospel presentation and to plant a church. Well, whose authority are you doing that under? Well, if you'd like to know, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, how are you going to get that done? Well, (laughs) the power of the Holy Spirit. It's exciting to be under the authority of Jesus Christ in ministry. And to be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. There's a third concept here. And this one here is kind of interesting. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 10, that is the provision for ministry is an exercise of faith. I wish I had time to go further into this concept. Because contextually there's some implications there I would like to deal with. But the provision for ministry is an exercise of faith. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples that when you go out in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to do ministry, you move by faith alone. Now, the Lord tells his disciples something that I don't tell my missionaries don't take any money. Don't take any provisions. (laughs) Matt and Michelle, (laughs) raise your support. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I think what the Lord is saying here is this. When you fulfill ministry, whatever it is, I speak from the context of church planning, but when you fulfill ministry, whatever it is, it is not the strategy. It's not your bank account. It's not what you do to plan and prepare. It is an exercise of faith. God, you provide. Now look at the text very carefully. I don't have time to deal with this in, in detail. He says, you go, and as you go, two things are going to happen. You're going to go to a home, and they're going to welcome you into your, their home. They're going to provide for you while you minister in that city. And when you leave there, you leave the blessing of peace upon them. Or you will go, and they'll reject you. They'll reject the message. But the idea, he says, is this. I want you to learn that in every aspect of ministry, it's an exercise of faith for God to provide. Now, another concept, and that is the priority. Priority. The priority of ministry is proclamation. Proclamation. He told them, Go and preach. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, to be true to the context, I want to say something here. Our time is up. He said, Go to what? The house of Israel. Contextually, He is presenting himself as the Messiah of Israel to the nation of Israel. And the kingdom was present. It was at hand. The Messiah was present. Here's where you get into theological questions you can't answer. Such as, what if Israel would have said yes to Jesus? Well, it was not in the decrees of God. Because Old Testament Scripture says that the Messiah had to suffer. But nonetheless, the principle is still the same. He said, go and preach. The kingdom of God is at hand. You and I have been given a mandate. Again, for sake of time, I can't turn to Luke chapter 24. That repentance and faith be preached to all nations. It is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I am not ashamed of what? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has a power that is able to transform human life. To save the soul, the Jew and the Greek. The priority of ministry is proclamation. Jesus demonstrates it. He taught and he preached. He commissions us to proclaim good news. What's what's the result of all of this? And I'll close with this. If you go back in the text and look at those verses in 11 through 13 again, the result is that there's either reception or, or rejection, right? Those who receive that message... Are blessed. They receive the shalom. The greeting of peace. To their home. To their life. Those who reject that message. That greeting of peace returns. And they do not receive it. When you and I step into our ministry. And we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. There's only two responses that are going to happen. Reception or rejection. To receive the message is to receive the peace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace that passes all understanding. To reject the message is to miss the prince of peace. And to be condemned to judgment. Look at the text very well. It will be more tolerable for who? Sodom and Gomorrah in the Day of Judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, let's never forget that the masses that we see day by day upon whom we must have compassion for the sake of the Gospel are facing eternal condemnation in hell apart from Jesus Christ. I beg of you in Christ's stead take up your cross follow after Jesus Christ, step into a world of ministry that's challenging because your heart is broken and compassionate. Because you have authority and power from God himself. Because you have a message to proclaim. Because you have faith to trust God. Because you realize that ultimately man either receives the Prince of Peace or they stand before the judge of all mankind. Be happy to talk with you. We'd love to work with you. Internships, church planting, are just to be an encouragement where God's leading you down your path or journey of serving him. Because there's nothing greater than life than to walk that path for his glory till he comes. Thank you very much for the privilege.